0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: The Bigger 10 Podcast. I am John Miller along with Steve Dace. We record this a few days after the big the NFL draft has come and gone, and we'll talk about that Big 10 related. And Steve, you'd sent me a few notes that you wanted to hit, so we will just dive right into those. Uh, the first note that you sent me is a tweet that you sent out talking about demographics with regards to the NFL draft and where the uh, FBS players that were drafted, where they came from. And this is an audio format, but let me just tell you, when you consider flyover country, which is from the front range of the Rockies all the way out through the Midwest and even getting up into the Rust Belt of Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania, uh, as Sam Kinnison once said, "You go where the food is, and there ain't a whole yeah. lot of ain't a whole lot of food football food in flyover country."
0: That map is astonishing, and I've tweeted over at I've tweeted it over at Michigan Podcast, and I think I retweeted it on our bigger ten account over the weekend. I would advise everybody listening to that to us right now to go into one of those two Twitter feeds and look at that map. And just just see it for yourself. And it really puts things in perspective. You know, last year, the state of Georgia had more players drafted than any state in the country, more than Texas, more than Florida, more than California. But when you look at where these guys are coming from, and in our case here in the Big Ten, it's more appropriate to say where they're not coming from. And it gives you an idea of what every school in the Big Ten is up against. To compete on a national level, um, if if you're if you're a if you're a program trying trying to get back uh, into respectability, you're a, a Purdue and Illinois, and obviously Purdue is further down that road than Illinois is. But if you're a Rutgers, etc., and you look at Illinois and Rutgers, I mean those are states; those are big population states. Those are states that have a lot of high school talent. But if you look and see where, you know, in the Big Ten, we're relying on those states to feed us a lot of players. And there's just not much from the NFL draft perspective compared to the Atlantic Coast and the southeastern regions. Um, There's nothing, there's not much coming from there. Then if you're a program that is a perennial developmental program, and so depending on... You know, your roster makeup, you know, your expectation level going into a year is anywhere from seven to ten wins. And that's a lot of teams in the Big Ten. That's a that's an Iowa, um, you know, that that until Wisconsin's now kind of grown beyond that. But that's that's a that's a Wisconsin. That's a Michigan State. That's a lot of teams in the Big Ten. And then you have your programs that the Big Ten are counting on to be your standard bearers. And even though Nebraska is not in that position right now, from a brand ID, they'd be in that group. Michigan would be in that group. Uh, Penn State would be in that group. And, and Ohio State has shown they're the leader of that group. And, and if you're an Ohio State fan, probably hard to convince you to be more impressed with what Urban Meyer has done. But when you look at this map, you will be. <laughs> You'll be more impressed. When you realize, you know, this isn't like in the 90s when we were pissed at John Cooper for winning 10 games every year because all John Cooper had to do was just get, you know, 10 of the top 20 players in Ohio every year and then fill out the rest of his recruiting class with whatever he would get around the rest of the country. And that was enough to win 10 games every year. Again, the demographics aren't what they used to be. This map really shows you what this league is up against. And... um when you consider that right now I think if you go back with the possible exception of the mid-80s when Iowa was at its penis, and Bo was still in his heyday at Michigan and Earl Bruce was winning 9 or 10 games here year at Ohio State and Mike White had Tony Eason and Jack Trudeau at Illinois and Jim Everett was at Purdue and Lorenzo White was at Michigan State with the possible exception of that era This is the best I think this league has been um, in terms of the quality of its depth in the post-World War II timeframe was right now. And they're doing it at a time that the demographics have never been more against them than they are right now because of the southern flight of the population. This map really hammers home how good the coaching is in this league because they certainly ain't doing it because of the players they're recruiting in their own backyard, John.
1: No, you're right about that. I mean, that that map was rather startling. And you look at um, one player from Missouri or Kansas. It was a player that was from Auburn. That was the only player that went to the NFL from those two states. I think two players went to the NFL from Omaha, but that was it for Nebraska. Josie Jewell came out of Iowa. Uh, One player looks like up at the La Crosse, Wisconsin area. And one player from the state of Minnesota that came that that played football at Arkansas. I yeah, mean, we're talking about a lot of states there. Nobody from North Dakota or South Dakota. These would be Big Ten feeding grounds, certainly the Big Ten that we're familiar with. But nobody from the state of Oklahoma either. And I was kind of surprised by that. Um, moving on to your next point, you wanted to bring up. Uh, this is from Chris Lowe at ESPN. Of the 32 first-round picks in Thursday's NFL Draft, 14 were three-star prospects or lower coming out of high school, including three former walk-ons.
0: Hmm. And those walk-on, former walk-ons include the number one overall pick in the draft uh, in Baker Mayfield. So um, when you see a stat like that, um, because you are a fan of one of the league's many developmental programs at the University of Iowa, when you see a stat like that, what does it say to you? Well,
1: you're wanting me to say that it should be encouraging. Yeah, but I- I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple of other things at you. Um, Nineteen out of 105 stars were drafted. Sixty-seven out of 901 four stars were drafted and 107 out of 4032 three stars were drafted. So that's 19% of the five stars got drafted. 7.4% of the four stars got drafted and 2.7% of the three stars were drafted. Iowa's roster is mostly going to be made up of kids that are Three stars, sometimes four, but mostly three. Few twos in there, and to come some no stars. To me, in looking at that in totality, well, I understand what you're saying on the one hand, and you focused on the first round, and focused. Yeah, you're on looking the, at it holistically. In, in, in yeah. talking about the entire draft, uh, yeah. Iowa's margin for error remains very thin, and that's why an injury or two at a key place can basically derail their entire season.
0: Well, that is an excellent perspective because you're right. You can you can take Chris Lowe's number there and point out that um, to reach the the highest threshold. Yeah, recruiting the first services, round of the NFL draft. Yeah, yeah. Recruiting services don't limit your ability to do that. Whether you're Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, those are two guys that did it at the most important position on the field, All right? The other two, Sam Darnold, by the way, wasn't even the main quarterback prospect in his class at USC. He was considered the second quarterback in that class. Josh Rosen was your consensus, you know, top quarterback prospect in the country. So there's that round, but then there's what you point out. When you look at it holistically, the odds that you're going to compete because you're right you can you can flip it around and say so it we we it, the odds we can compete annually with teams that are you know only have 19% of their top prospects making the NFL <clears throat> and most of our top prospects average less than that but you know it's funny i'd be willing to bet if we went to Wisconsin and Iowa and we asked – we looked at their two- and three-star NFL hit rate compared to the national mean. Oh, for sure. I bet it's not even close. Yeah, for I bet sure. they're way outperforming the national mean.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But as you know, the, the, the numbers are not in your favor. I mean, 8.6% of the 1,001 four- and five-star players, 86 out of 1,001 made up this draft four- and five-star players, that's 8.6%. There were 13,451 three-star and below, and they made up, so that's like a 1.1% hit rate. So if you're at Iowa and you have 20 guys in your signing class, 14 of them are going to be three-stars, if not more, three-stars or lower, 15 maybe even are going to be three stars or more. Mm-hmm. That just means that you, you had better develop and hit on a very high number of those guys to compete against the big boys of the world, juxtapose that with Alabama. Since they lost the national championship to Clemson, they've had 22 players drafted. 22 in these last two seasons. Mm-hmm. That team that lost to Clemson, holy smokes, that's a lot of talent. It just tells you how good of a quarterback Deshaun Watson
0: was. Well, you're telling me three things with this. One second. You're really proud of me right now, too, I think. You are, man. I'm really appreciating this kind of analysis. You're you're telling me three things. One, Paul Christ or Barry Alvarez, Kirk Ferentz, better coaches than we even think they are. That's one thing you're telling me. You're also telling me, way too many guys uh, have, even beyond. We know every guy thinks they're going to play in the NFL. That gets a, gets a scholarship. Those the numbers are even more against you when you look at them actually than they are when you see them uh, when you see them perceptively.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
0: And the other thing you're telling me is. A lot of guys are getting bad advice about declaring early for the NFL draft. I think we had 150 or something players, or 140 players declare early, and 37 of them went undrafted. And since you know you're not allowed to return to school, that's your eligibility. That's it. Yeah, you're out on the street. So you're right. That those numbers put even more context on the demographic numbers we were just looking at because now you're you, I would imagine a two or three star in terms of where he's at physically from a southern state where the high school competition overall is better is that a different meaning you're starting with a different mole when you take a two or three star from Texas When you take a two or three star from Iowa or Minnesota or Nebraska, right? So, because just physically they they played a different level. Yeah, their competition competition level for sure, no doubt. Which means it's one thing to build a program on two or three stars in a power conference if you're Texas Tech, and most of those are guys coming from a different level of high school football than it is if you're doing that the way that Iowa and Wisconsin have done it, and Michigan State as well which I think is just makes it even more impressive with the coaching staffs that those schools have done.
1: Indeed. Uh, Next point, next tweet that you sent to me. This comes from uh, Brent Yarnia of the Big Ten Network. NFL draft by Big Ten school. Ohio State led the way with seven selections. Penn State with six. And Ohio State uh, and Penn State, not surprisingly, the two best teams the last couple of years. Wisconsin next with five. Then Iowa at three, Indiana at two, Maryland with two, Michigan with two, and Rutgers with two, and Indiana's two. Simi Cobb didn't even get drafted. Then Michigan State with one. I think I saw a tweet that Michigan State's one of four schools since 1967 to have a player drafted every year. Uh, and right. ne- Nebraska with one, which is my boy, my boy uh, Tanner Lee. Dace. You
0: got that one right.
1: Yes. And then Northwestern with one that was that was uh, Jackson Justin Jackson who didn't get picked till really late in the seventh round, and then one for Purdue. We'll start right there.
0: Well, what it tells you is um, Ohio State recruits better than anybody in the league, and they're kind of where Alabama and uh, LSU under Les Miles was, where you are it's a three-year program guys if if you're at ohio state for four years then you just particularly love college football like a jt barrett and or you don't really have a position in the nfl um uh, because it's those are three-year programs now with the way they're recruiting the rest of those schools i think it tells you how much experience is returning back to the big ten um you know i think michigan and michigan state According to SB Nation's uh, productivity stats, I think yeah, I think they're two of the top three or four schools of any Power Five school for most returning productivity in the whole sport, and that plays itself out with their small numbers of guys drafted. Um, you know, Wisconsin loses some key players but brings a lot of guys back as well. So, what that tells me is uh, it's going to be fun in this league this fall there's going to be a lot of good teams returning
1: all right let's go on to your next note almost two-thirds of the total players drafted came from four conferences the sec the acc the big 10 and the pac-12 are you trying to send a uh uh-oh to the big 12
0: yeah yeah kind of am um Was Baker Mayfield their only First round draft pick
1: Is that rhetorical you know it better than I would Uh, Yeah (laughs) You know know better than to get down the weeds with me on that
0: (laughs) No he was And Yeah Um, I mean Oklahoma's Best defensive player uh, Their one true Defensive difference maker I don't know where he got drafted If he got drafted at all it was really late So that league is has more in common with the American Athletic Conference right now than it does those other four leagues. Those other four leagues are producing a, a level of talent that you don't see anywhere else in college football, and that includes the Big 12. And I think that also tells you um, how down Texas has been. Right. I think it also tells you... How much better Oklahoma's been than everybody else in that conference. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, it's, uh, and it goes back to the point we were making a few minutes ago how good the coaching is in the Big Ten, developing this many high quality prospects despite the demographic battle they're trying to fight right. at the exact same time.
1: Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're right about that. Um, pulling up your, uh, your next note, and uh, it was a uh, link to a sporting news. Two Big Ten players in the top five. We're talking about, what is this, next year's draft board. So right. that's always a fun topic, and I know you were probably already looking uh, ahead to it. It was at this point last year that Josh Allen, you know, jumped onto everybody's radar, and he wound up falling to 10th, and, man, he sure gave some – He's not afraid to speak his mind. Maybe that's why he fell the 10th, but he said he was pretty pissed off, to quote him, that he fell the 10th, and he said that not, there were nine other mistakes ahead of him. Man.
0: Oh, that's Josh Rosen. That Josh,
1: I'm sorry. That was jo- Rosen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Rosen. Josh Allen's the quiet kid from Wyoming. For, from he he
1: Wyoming. To quote, went to Buffalo, yeah. Yeah,
0: he likes to quote gangster rap, uh, racially charged gangster rap lyrics on his social media, and that causes him to do a... An interview with ESPN to make his 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 burnt offering to the social justice warrior gods.
1: Dude, you and I have um, been quoting Gangster Rap on our show for years.
0: Yeah, this is the new thing now. You know, they did this. Uh, who's the guy? De Vincenzo at Villanova. You know, the night he was most outstanding player in the uh, uh, NCAA tournament in the Final Four. USA Today. In the interest of full disclosure, where I'm a contributor in my day job. USA Today runs a column basically calling him a racist because of what he posted on his Instagram or something at 14 years old, which was singing along the racially charged gangster rap lyrics. Um, They did this to a college, the Virginia women's golf team or something. Same thing. Now they're doing it to Josh Allen. So you're a racist if you're a white kid and you, you refuse to listen to the racially charged gangster rap. And then you're a racist if you sing along to it. And now we're going to we're gonna go and fight out with these with – the, I don't like calling them kids when they're grown-ass men. But when you were posting stuff at 14 or 15 years old, you're a kid. And so now, you know, uh, you've got to – will he be accepted in NFL? Let me tell you, the amount of racially charged rhetoric back and forth between guys in an NFL locker room would make you 103-pound metrosexual reporters – Pitch yourselves, okay? So they're going to accept him just fine because an NFL locker room isn't the newsroom at ESPN. Who you're talking about is Josh Rosen, who's kind of known as a D bag, frankly. And you're right. Talking, going off like that, and, you know, and I think what that is, is with Josh Rosen, the knock on him was he's not really fiery, passionate, doesn't really, football is not really a big thing for him. So I think that was an overcompensation. That was, the, that was the equivalent of the guy in his midlife crisis buying, a, it's either a mistress or a Camaro, right? What's he compensating for, you know? So I, I think Josh Rosen was kind of over overacting a little bit because that's not really who he is. The guy came from the tennis world, seriously. He was like on, on, on pace to be a professional tennis player. And he kinda of took up football as a secondary thing and just had a God given knack for it. And so for him now to come all like he's all hardcore, it's a little there's a little uh, if we're if we're making rap references, it's a little Dennis Van Winkle, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Vanilla Ice trying to play it off like he's all hard and he's from like some Dallas suburb. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really fly. Um I totally forgot what your original question was when I went off on that answer. Well, I like that. So, can you remind me?
1: Yeah, I, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I was just sitting here trying to think of lines from the songs that I mean, if I go to jail, it won't be for selling keys; it'll be for murdering and MCs. I had I had a bit on my on the John Miller show back in the day called "White Man Rapping," where I would just try to sound as white as even whiter than I sound right now. And I would try to speak along to the lyrics, and I would, of course, get lost in them. That was the whole bit. That's just silly. Anyway, um, next year's draft. Uh, oh, next year's draft. Sporting news. You've got
0: Nick Bosa, could be the number one overall pick. Yep. Out of Ohio State. You have Rashawn Gary. I think he was in the top number four 10 in the Piper's draft. He's in the top five of this one in the sporting news. So, my, Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. And then I've looked at about four of these already this, uh, this past weekend for 2019, and every one of them have Shea Patterson as a first-round draft pick, which would mean he'd be the first Big Ten quarterback. First of all, it means he's won and done at Michigan. It would also mean that he's the first Big Ten quarterback since Kerry Collins in 1995, John. The first Big Ten quarterback since Kerry Collins in 1995 to be a first-round draft pick. Now, I don't think he's the only chance in the league. You won't hear about this a lot right now, but if he takes a year of development from year two to year three, the the way he did from year one to year two under Jeff Brown, Elijah Sindelar at Purdue has sort of the Josh Allen at Wyoming skill set. And if he takes that leap, you know, him and David Blau combined for 28 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Last year, that's outstanding. If he takes that extra leap, where now he's the starting quarterback with his body and his fit and his. And when I mean Josh Allen, I'm not sure he has that strong an arm, but he is a really strong one. He's a good athlete, mobile. So if he if he takes that next step and takes control of that offense, now so he's coming off of an ACL that didn't stop him from having two best games of his career to end last year on a torn ACL against Indiana and Arizona in the bull game. And that's the kind of things NFL scouts are going to love that kind of toughness. If if you if if he takes that next step where he grabs that Jeff Braum offense this fall by the throat and and can put up, uh, you know, full time starter numbers, then I wouldn't I wouldn't eliminate him being a first round draft pick at quarterback, because right now there's really only two quarterbacks that are consistently being mentioned for the first round next year. And it's Shea Patterson and Jarrett Stidham at Auburn which is kind of ironic because Shea Patterson is this year's Jared Stidham, meaning the transfer missing piece for a for a big name program that could completely change their fortunes. And, you know, Auburn was eight and five two years ago, like Michigan was eight and five last year. Stidham comes in, they're number two in the country heading into the last week of the season and, and they're back in the playoff race. And so Michigan is hoping Shea Patterson will do the same thing for them. So you're looking at the potential of the number one overall pick in the draft being a Big Ten guy, and you're also looking at the potential of the Big Ten breaking its long-standing quarterback drought. Oh, and there's one more thing I want to mention about some of the NFL draft numbers you were mentioning. All those Alabama players you mentioned, 22 off the last two drafts, two teams. How in this, this goes, I, I know we had this discussion last year, but those scouts that looked at Deshaun Watson putting up mm-hmm. 800 yards eight touchdowns and one interception against a freaking NFL farm team at the on the biggest stage two years in a row and didn't think you could play in the NFL. Um, hey, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to jail. Resign. You suck at this. Okay? You just suck at this. <laughs>
1: Once again, Steve, you get the last word. I think that'll wrap it up for this installment of the Bigger Ten Podcast. We'll be back at it again next week. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.